You know, you and I, we take risks every single day from the time we get up in the morning, we open our eyes to the time we close our eyes when we go to bed. Our lives, they're full of all kinds of risks. From the food we eat, to showering, to driving, to playing, whatever it is, we have these risks that we take every day. Now, sometimes we take in our life, we take unnecessary risks, right? These are risks that we probably shouldn't take. You know, you shouldn't be 45 years old and jump on a hoverboard for the very first time and try to impress your kids, right? That, that's probably an unnecessary risk. Or, or maybe your kid's eight years old and they're trying to figure out, you know, they're deciding to, to pull for the Washington football team. Those are unnecessary risks an eight-year-old needs to take in, in their life. But we take unnecessary risks, but there's also necessary risks that we have. Like getting in the car and driving, that's a necessary risk. Exercise, a necessary risk. Eating duck donuts, definitely a necessary risk, right? <laughs> we'll take those necessary risks when we have to. But this morning and over our time together, I want to talk about some righteous risks. Because that's probably the biggest risk that you and I have to choose to take in our life. But what does that look like? How, how, do, we, how do we take those righteous risks? And, and in the end, what could come from that? Well, today we continue our series called One Hit Wonders. If you haven't been with us at all or online with us, we're, as Gary said, we're, we're looking at these stories that, of people in Scripture that we might not necessarily talk about on a Sunday morning. And so a series like this gives us an opportunity to, to focus on someone maybe we have a couple of verses about or a section or a chapter or two. And so I've enjoyed this because I've learned a lot myself, you know, as we've gone through this, this whole series. But today we're going to talk about someone who took a righteous risk. And they took such a righteous risk that the God blessed their lives. And so this morning we're going to be in Joshua. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Joshua chapter 2. If you don't, we're going to put it up here on the screen. You can follow along there. If you've got your, your Bible app on your phone, you can open that up. But we're going to start with Joshua chapter 2, starting with verse 1. It says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. Now, let me kind of jump back to a couple of weeks ago. I talked about Judge Deborah, and so I want to talk about what the, the uh, leadership structure was like. He had Moses, and Moses' job was to lead the Israelites out of slavery to the promised land. But when they got to the promised land, God's like, hey, your time's over with. You're second in command here, Joshua. He's going to actually lead the, the Israelites into the promised land. And so that's what Joshua was trying to do here. They're, they're right there at the cusp of the promised land. The city of Jericho sits not too far away from them. But he wants to know, you know, what's this place like? What are, what are we getting ready to get into? We need to make sure we have this recon mission so we can figure out what we need to do as we move into this new place. And so he sends these two spies into the city of Jericho. Look at the rest of verse 1. So they went, talking about the spies, and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and stayed there. Our one hit wonder for the day is this lady whose name is Rahab. There's a couple of things we find out pretty quickly here. First, uh, it's interesting to me that the writer here who's retelling her story tells us her profession first. It's like she's a prostitute. Now, if we go back into that culture, into the context of when this is happening, this probably wasn't something she would have chosen to do in her life, but probably circumstances have, have led her to this place. Uh, quite often in that culture for ladies, if uh, you were not married or maybe your husband had passed away or divorced you and there was no family there to take care of you, 
So it's kind of what was forced on, on women to do. And, and so she's in this role because some reasons she's single. Again, her husband may have passed away, and there's no family of his side to help her out. Maybe there's a divorce there. But, but it looks like this is, this is her main job, and she's probably the breadwinner for quite a few people in her family. And so we know her profession. Now, it also talks about this house that's there. And just so you know, this is probably a little bit different than what we would think about a house. And again, this is kind of based on what we know from uh, looking back at archaeology finds, archaeological finds, and also kind of what we have here in the Hebrew. It's probably not the kind of house we're thinking about. It's more like a hostel. Um, I, I kind of, when I read it, I think through like a, a Western movie in the saloon, kind of that idea there. Probably not that big, but same, some of that same idea. That people would come from uh, other places, they needed a place to stay, they needed overnight uh, accommodations, and so they would stop because people would say, hey, go to Rahab's place and hang out there. And so this is what we have going on there and some other things going on there too. And so in this setting, these spies come into this place, and I don't think there's a better place for them to go. Now, they're, they're not there, and again, we know this based on what we're reading here, they're not there for sexual encounters, all right? They're there because they're trying to gather intel of this city. And so why not go to the place where you've got people that are coming from all over the known land, and they can tell you about their experiences in the city, and they can tell you more about the promised land that you're heading into, and, and there's probably townies who are showing up there to take care of their vices, and they're probably open to having conversations with new people. So this is a, a great opportunity for these spies to gather any kind of information that they needed about Jericho. Look at verse 2. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. Now they go here and they think this place is safe, but it's actually not safe. It seems like there was a mole there. Someone was looking for them and, and this information gets back to the king. And so the king sends his people out to Rahab and says, Rahab, we know these guys are here. What we need you to do is to send them out so we can, so we can have a conversation with them. Look at verse 4. But the women had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. There's this misdirection play that Rahab has towards these guards of the king. It's kind of like she's breaking a few ankles, like... Ezekiel Elliott's going to do to Chase Young in a few games this coming fall as football season begins, right? Lots of, re oops, lots of Washington football team references today. Yeah, it's football season, guys. We've got to have some references to football season. But she's like, hey, they stopped here. You're right, but they're not here anymore. You know what? They left. They went out the gate, and I think I saw them going towards that hill, that, towards that mountain. Why don't you go chase them and find them, and when you get them, then you can ask them these questions. But as we see here, the reality is that they are hidden there on top of, of the roof of her dwelling. We look at this part of our uh, story of Rahab, and we know a few things. First, we, we know that she knows that these spies are Israelites. She realizes who they are. Somehow she's able to figure this out. Secondly, she's willing to do whatever it takes to protect these Israelites 
And then lastly, if you think about it, she is taking incredible risks to protect these Israelites. I talked about at the very beginning how we take risk every single day. And again, there's normal risk we take, but, but how many of the risks we take are, are really important risks? In fact, let me push this a little further. How many of the risks we take are actually righteous risks? Because when we look at the story of Rahab here, we find that she has taken these incredible, incredible risks. And in the end, what she's really doing, she's putting her life on the line. She's taking a righteous risk for these two spies. But she could lose everything. See, the king could come back. It's like, hey, we know these guys were here, and then you lied to us, and, you know, we can't find them. We're, we're going to take your business. Now, for her, that was everything. That, that's how she lived and survived and, and probably took care of her family. And, and so they, they could have come and taken all that from her. They could have thrown her in prison. But more likely, the king would have come back to her and said, hey, you know what? You lied to us. That's treason. Here's the deal. We're going to execute you. Oh, and by the way, not only are we going to execute you, but we're going to execute your mom and dad. We're going to execute your family and their families. We're going to execute everybody that's connected to you because we want to teach the people of this city of Jericho what happens when you defy those in charge. And so here she is. She's taken this incredible risk, and she's willing to put her life on the line for something that she believes in. What risk are you and I willing to take in our life? Now, again, I'm not talking about normal risk. I'm talking about big risks. I'm talking about, I'm talking about righteous risks. What righteous risk are we willing to take in, in our lives? I'm always drawn to the faith of people in different countries where uh, they're persecuted for their faith. Sometimes I hear people who are followers of Christ and the United States talk about how Christians are persecuted. We're not persecuted here. There might be some inconveniences, but we're not persecuted. We, we don't face life and death choices every single day. I, I, I stand up here on a Sunday morning and I come up and, and I speak, and, and I don't worry about the military coming in, partly because 50% of you in here are military, so <laughs> you'd have taken me out by now. But, but I don't worry about the military coming in and shutting this place down and taking us away and torturing us and putting us in prison. Those of you that are at home, you're watching, you, you don't worry that you're watching online right now. You're, you're not worried that the FBI is going to bust through your doors and take you out because of something you believe in. Like that's persecution when that's the, the, the kind of risk that you have to take in your life. And so I look at these other countries. I look at places like North Korea. I look at China. I look at some countries in Africa and, of course, Iran and from what we're starting to gather from information from Afghanistan that it's happening again there. As we we kind of gather this information, we, we hear what real persecution is, that, that you've got a choice. It's life or death for you. And I'm always amazed of the faith of those people. Like, how can you do that? Because I don't know how many of us that say we follow Christ could, could, actually, could actually say, hey, I would give my life for what I believe in if I were somewhere else. But we still have righteous risks. And it may not be the type of persecution that we see, sadly, in these different places. Maybe the experience we have is very different. Maybe the, the, the inconveniences we have or that relationships are going to flounder or relationships are going to be gone because of our faith and who we are. And we're willing to share that. And that may be the, the worst thing that we have to face. But here's the deal. There are those righteous risks that we have to take in our lives. 
for those of us here that are followers of Christ, what would that look like for us? Well, maybe it's you thinking about who that one person is in your life that you know is far from Christ. That one person in your life, and it could be a family member, someone who lives with you. It could be a, a family friend. It could be a coworker. But there's somebody in your life that you know is that one person. And you're maybe praying for opportunities to share your faith with them. Hey, here's the deal. You're going to take a righteous risk at some point in time if you're praying that prayer, that God will give you the opportunity to have that conversation with them because you don't know how they're going to respond with that. They may say, hey, I don't ever want to talk to you again. This friendship is over with. But you know what? That's a righteous risk that we may need to take. Or maybe the righteous risk we have is going out and seeking forgiveness from, from someone that we have hurt or giving forgiveness to someone that's hurt us. Or, or, or maybe it could be for us that we have to, to deal with the struggles we, we have in, in our, our, our life and, and move beyond where we are and loving our enemies and, and understanding what that looks like for us to do that. Maybe, maybe that's the righteous risk we have to take and to be able to tell that person, hey, I, I'm sorry. There are righteous risks we take in our life, but are we willing to take those risks? Could be for others. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're trying to figure out this Jesus thing, you're, you're on this beginning steps to this spiritual journey, your righteous risk could be finally saying, hey, I'm going to follow Christ. And your righteous risk may be saying, hey, you know what, I, I want to be baptized. I, I want to take this huge step in my life. Because for some, you taking that step it may be a step that your family may be totally against. But, but you know that you need that in your life. And you're ready to take that step of faith with Christ in that step of baptism. Maybe you're here today or you're online and that's where you are. Man, we'd, we'd love to have a conversation with you about that. We'd love to talk to you about what baptism looks like and why we do it and why it's important to us and why we see that as part of our spiritual journey that we go through. And so if you're here and you're in this room, there's a connection card in front of you. You can fill that out and mark that and we can contact you. You can put it in the offering box in the back or in the lobby or, or stop by our guest tent and drop that off. If you're online, you can hit that connection card that's online and just let us know that. On September 12th, as Daniel was talking about a little bit ago, we're going to have our big uh, back to fall party here at The Journey. Uh, but it's also going to be Baptism Sunday. And we have, I think, four people already that are going to take that step, talk to a few more. But we'd love for you to join us in that. And to experience what this righteous risk may look like for you. Because when I look at Rahab's story, she was willing to take these incredible risks. And these righteous risks because there was something that was going on deep inside her. There was this belief and this faith in something bigger. And she was willing to put her life on the line for this thing that she believed in. And so what are you willing to risk? Look at verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear. And everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Every time I read this part of Rahab's story, it's like one of the best moments in the Bible. Because look at what Rahab says here. She's acknowledging this Israelite God. She, she says, your God has brought fear to Jericho. Your God has brought fear to the land around us. 
Now, why is this? Well, again, Jericho's on this trade route. Uh, Rahab, she is there in this city, and she owns this place where people come in, and they spend the night, and then they move on on their travels. And so for probably 40 years, she's been getting all kinds of information from people all over the, again, the known world at that time. And they're sharing these stories about this group of people who walked across this, this dry land and, and how they were able to escape from the slavery of Egypt and then how they were destroyed, these, these two main kings. And, and so there's this fear that is there because of the stories that they're hearing. And again, this wasn't new stuff. This is stuff they've probably been hearing for, for years, maybe even decades. And so Rahab knows that there's something different about this God. Like she knows the Jericho gods with the little G's. She, she knows who they are. and She realized they're really not anything. But there's something about this Israelite big G God that's so different than anything that she's ever heard of or anything anybody's ever experienced. And so there's this, this fear that is there. And, and I, I think as you, you look at that passage there in, in verse 8, it really is this confession that she makes. She's like, God is God. And this God that you follow is more powerful and more uh, has these abilities that, that no other God has. And so your God is the God that I have this faith in, that this, this belief in, that there's something about your God that's, that's different. I read this part of her story and what she says, and it really is a reminder of this revelation that Rahab has. That she realizes that there's more to her life than she thought. There was more than her nationality. There was more than her career. There was more than her home. There was something more than, than her family. And that revelation to her was this God. That this God was bigger than any other God she had ever known. That this God did more than any other God imaginable could ever do. That, that her gods, Canaanite gods were not like this Israelite God. But what was that revelation that she found? It was hope. That, that in this God, there was something she had never experienced before in her life. That there was this moment of, of hope. Now, we don't have all the details of her story. I mean, you know, you think about the Bible. It's this bunch of books that are just really cliff notes of, of people's lives. We don't, we don't get to see the whole picture here, but one of the things I invite us to do all the time is as we're reading something like Rahab's story, let's put ourselves into her position. And what would that look like? What would your life be like? What would you be looking for? Well, like I said, she's a prostitute, right? She's a prostitute. This is what she's been doing for who knows how long because she's trying to take care of herself. She's trying to take care of her family. And I think about her in that role. And I wonder if, if every single time that she were to give herself to someone else, that she would sell a part of her and get payment for that. I can only imagine those were each time, those were moments of despair. Like, like what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Why is this the profession that I have? But I also imagine that there is also this desire for something more. This desire to get out of what she was doing, to, to move on from her past and and all of a sudden, because of this revelation of who this God is, there's hope for her. And because of this hope, she's, she maybe can find that thing that's going to fill this deep hole that she has in her soul. And it's this connection, finally, to God. 
If you think about your life, especially those that are followers of Christ, I'm guessing there was a moment where there was this revelation to you of who God was, who Christ is in your life. And, and maybe your life has been kind of messy, right? There's this past and decisions that you've made that you've had to pay for and addictions, whatever it may be. Just, you know, we, we all live this, this messy life, but, but there was this moment where, where this revelation came to you that there was something more, that there was hope. And the hope that came through Christ. You know, maybe it came through a conversation. And maybe it was one of your grandparents set you down and said, hey, we really need to talk about where you are in your faith. Maybe it was a coworker that did that for you. And, and yet that, that moment was a revelation to you that there's something more for me, that there's hope in my life. Could have been it was tough love, right? Tough love from a coach, a teacher, a parent. Again, people that were following Christ. And like, hey, let's, let's just kind of sit down and have this talk. And it could be somebody, somebody else. You, you saw the experiences that they had. And, and you watched their life and you're like, this stuff is terrible and horrible, and I can't believe they're not cursing God and hating God, but, but yeah, they still follow God. Well, what's the deal here? I mean, I, I see this joy, and, and you can't figure out these, these two opposite things going on, right? There's, there's joy here, but there's all this pain. How do you do that? And o- over time, as you begin to ask questions, they talk about their faith, and, and maybe that was the moment that revelation came to you, like, oh, there, there is hope. Because that's what we're all looking for. We're looking for something to hope in. We're looking for something to hold on to. And it could be those moments where God reveals who Jesus is to us through those conversations, through those experiences that change our life forever. See, that happened to Rahab. God revealed himself to her. And she grabbed onto this faith and this belief. And she was willing to take this righteous risk in her life. The question is, what is God revealing to you and to me? Let's look at verse 12 there. It says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. So Rahab says, hey, I, I want to take care of all these people that are important to me. She said, I'll take care of you if you save my family. But, but notice that. She doesn't say, I want you to save me. She's not self, selfish here, right? She's not, I want you to save me. Can you help me? No, she says, hey, I need you to save my family. I need you to save who's important to me. And it's kind of this confession of faith we see here with these words that she says. Because she's hoping that what will happen is there will be salvation for her and her family. Verse 14. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So they make this pact between the two of them. The, the, the spies say, hey, if you protect us and don't tell anybody our secret, then we will save you and your family. Verse 15. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Real quick, just kind of construction thing. Uh, there are multiple walls there for Jericho. Um, the outer walls, specifically up against the wall itself, home, there were homes, and that tended to be where lower-income families would live. And so this would have been a place that somebody like, like uh, Rahab would have lived. But there was a window there, and so she was able to, to lower them down through that window. Verse 17. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear would not be binding on us unless when we enter the land... You have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. 
If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And so we have the spies, we have Rahab, they come together, they swear this oath. She leaves the scarlet cord there on the window as a reminder, you know, you can do anything else to the city, just don't touch this area. And if you're familiar with the story, if you've read it before, um, if you haven't, you continue reading on here in Joshua. The Israelites come, they, they, they surround the city, they actually surround it and walk around it for seven days. In those seven days, the walls come crumbling down. They go in, they destroy the city, except for Rahab and her family who are fully saved. I look at Rahab's life and I think about this righteous risk that she takes. And I, I think about this revelation that she has from God. And I, I wonder, though, what is it that you and I can learn from her? What can we learn from someone who's willing to take incredible risks because of, of something that's been revealed to her? What, 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 are, what, what can we do in our life? How can we learn from this? Well, as I look at Rahab's story, there's this, this word that keeps coming to my mind. It's redemption. The Rahab story is a story of redemption, and it's a reminder to you and me that God is a God who redeems. Think about it this way. Um, you probably have a favorite movie, a favorite book that you've read in your life. And if you think about the plot there, you, you've got a person, uh, usually or a couple people, and there's tension there, they're lost, their life's kind of crazy, messy type of deal, and and, and then something happens, something takes place, and their life totally changes, right? It, it's that moment of redemption, that their, their life becomes more than it was before. And, and that's why we love stories. We love that because we love that story of redemption. Now, I kind of laugh as a pastor because I find a lot of times that redemption moment, there's like this baptism scene, right? You think about maybe some of your favorite movies you're like there's this moment they like fall in the water or they're stuck somewhere and they can't get out and someone's like oh this is baptism and that's what baptism is about it's about this redemption from where we are to who god has called us to be but but that's what stories are about they're about redemption but what is redemption what does this look like for us well one of the great philosophers of our time uh, someone named ice t once um it's true you're going to be blown away by this said this, redemption just means you just make a change in your life and you try to do right versus what you were doing, which was wrong. Now, i got to be honest, that's actually a pretty profound statement if you read through that a few times. Because he's right, your life is heading in one direction, you're heading down this wrong path, and then something happens and you change, and, and this redemption happens in your life and you change, and, and you go towards this, this thing that is, is good. That's what redemption is. And, and in fact, if we look at the Bible which is really a library of many different books. If we look through scripture, you know what we see over and over and over again? Stories of redemption. If we go back and we look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament is, and again, this series, we've focused a lot on, on people in the Old Testament. We see story after story of redemption that takes place, that people are heading in one direction and God shows up and it changes that direction. It changes them for good. 
Now, the Old Testament is also the story of redemption for the nation of Israel. But then if we go to the New Testament, we look at the New Testament, we find the same things are happening. There's all these stories of redemption over and over again in the New Testament. But really, the, the story behind the New Testament is it's about the redemption of humanity. See, redemption is powerful. Re redemption moves us. But, but redemption is something that we can say, hey, God has done this in my life, and I am changed because of it. Charles Spurgeon was a well-known preacher back in the 1800s. You didn't think you'd get iced tea and Charles Spurgeon on the same day, did you? Yep, <laughs> but you did. He said, the heart of the gospel is redemption, and the essence of redemption is the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. So when we look at this, this term redemption, it's deliverance. Deliverance from our mistakes, deliverance from our decisions, from our past, from our sins, from our burdens, from our struggles. The redemption means we are rescued from ourselves. That we're rescued from our past and who we were and what we've done. And yet in those mistakes, there's still this incredible God who loves us. And loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to this earth. Why? To redeem us. To let us know there's more to our life than we may imagine. That to let us know there is hope. That no matter what our, our past may look like and be, that there's still hope for us. And that hope comes Christ, which is part of what makes Rahab's story so interesting to me, because we don't just read about her in the Old Testament, we actually read about her in the New Testament, and we see her in this genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, it says, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David, and King David was in the lineage of King Jesus. No matter what your story may be, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've experienced in your life, there's always this opportunity for the story of redemption, where God reveals who Jesus is to us. And we take that righteous risk in our life, and when we do, we get to experience this incredible redemption story, just like we find here with Rahab. That God jumps in and says, hey, I want to show you something better and bigger than you could ever imagine for your life. If you allow me to redeem your past. That's why Jesus is so important to us. That's why we need to understand the power of Jesus in our life. And I actually want to go back to the Rick Astley song. The song is not Christian by any way, shape, or form. But if you go back and you look at the course, and I read this a few times this week, I'm like, this is Jesus. I'm never going to give you up. I'm never going to let you down. I'm never going to run around and desert you. I'm not going to sing it, by the way. I'm never going to make you cry. I'm never going to say goodbye. I'm never going to tell a lie and hurt you. I'm never going to give you up. No matter what you have done, no matter what you are doing, no matter what we will do, Jesus will never give up on us. And that's why we have this opportunity to, to, to live this life of redemption if we choose to do it. If God's been revealed to us, Christ has been revealed to us, and we take those righteous risks, your story and my story, like Rahab, can be this incredible story of redemption because of a Jesus who never gives up on us.